Board Game Podcast. My name is Tom Chick, and I am not playing DC Deck Builder. And this is Hassan Lopez, and I'm not playing Cave Evil. And this is Mike Pullman, and I am not playing Magic Maze. Oh, Mike, you should be. I've, I, I've never played it. I've seen it, but Yeah, I good. loathe that game with every fiber <laughs> of my being, but I love watching people forced to play it. <laughs> All right. It's like it's like a torture device almost. Like there's a, there's a sadistic part of me that loves seeing people subjected to magic maze. It's what a horrible game, but what a there's really cool things about it. I just never want to play it again. So is it the uh, is it the limit on communication that yep. annoys you, Tom? Yeah, not, not annoys me. I mean, I really do think it's a great design, but I just want no part of it. It's not something I want to play. I love how it limits communication, uh, and and fosters other types of cooperating and interacting. Uh, it's the sort of thing like if I were raising a family, I would make them play once a week magic. <laughs> like if I had a corporate team, instead of going on a corporate retreat, I just put them in a hotel room for a week and say, "You guys play Magic Maze over and over and over and over again," uh, and that would bring the team together. Yeah. But what I am playing, let me go first because actually, you know what, Mike, you're kind of the the headline event here. I'm uh-huh. super curious to hear about this show you went to. What is it? And good lord, you saw some. You saw a bunch of cool stuff, right? I did. So last week, uh, one of the distributors I uh, buy games from, uh, ACD, they're based out of Madison, had a little trade show uh, that publishers showed up to, and then retailers could try out new games. They had a demo night, and they had an exhibit hall for one afternoon, so it's kind of like running through Gen Con in a few hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I saw lots of cool stuff um, on the thread. On uh, quarter to three, there's, I don't know, 100 photos I took of various games, and then uh Thursday evening, they had a demo night where you kind of went around. Each publisher had a table set up, and you can kind of wander around and play whatever you wanted. So I got to play a handful of games that aren't even out yet. Um, this just this yeah. seems mind-bogglingly... Like, like, I would rather do that than Disneyland any day of the week. It was cool. It was, I wish there was more time. You know, there was for demo night, there was five or six hours, which... Sounds like a lot, but once you're sitting down for games that take 45 minutes, once you're by the time you're done, you'll get a handful of them in. But yeah, are there was... people conducting the demos? I, I presume. Yeah. So, yeah. so either so the designers or the publisher reps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you and and those photographs that you posted at quarter to three, the, mm-hmm. I, I mean, those are all mouthwatering. Almost all of them was like, what is? The... I love looking at pictures of board games set up because I immediately want to know, you know, what what is that resource? What are those little pieces? Oh, what is this on the map? What are those? What what do those dice do? What kind of cards are those? Uh, yep. And the, the artwork for these generally is designed to make me want to know those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were some lovely pictures. Um, yeah. And, well, you know, unfor- unfortunately, out of all those games, I only got to play a handful of them. Um, you know, I, I got to talk to some of the reps and stuff, but mostly it was I'm using it as a launch point of this is what I'm going to look into more as the year goes on and what I want to try at Gen Con mm-hmm. and so on. So what caught your eye? So um, let's see. One of the one of the ones I really liked that I got to play is from Blue Orange Games, and it's called Planet. And unlike, uh, you know, kind of traditional games, there's no board. So instead, each player gets this... 12-sided, think of it like a 12-sided die, but a giant version, uh, and each side has magnets on it. And as you play, you're drafting these pieces, and you stick them to the sides of the 12 sides, and they end up adjacent to other pieces, and you kind of score points and stuff that way. So a very cool, just kind of looking, because you walk up to the table, and there's, uh, you know, just all these... Uh, I don't know what what's the name of a twelve sided die. A polyhedron <laughs> do, of some, do, yeah. Decahedron or something. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that might be a twenty sided die. <laughs> oh, you're, you're right. 
Um, uh, but the thing is, I yeah. so Mike, I've always said that a strategy game should never take place on a 3D globe because you're just obscuring half of the information, half of the board. Um, but it sounds like this is, I don't know about a gimmick, but it, it, is this intentional? Like, can I hide half of my polyhedron from, from you guys when we're playing? Nope, I can ask oh. to see yours at any time. Then why isn't it on like a Mercator projection or something? Okay, I'm gonna rail against this game when it comes out. <laughs> uh, you know, it's the idea is you're you're kind of uh, creating this planet, and then based on the regions of like what's touching what, there's uh, there's different colors, right? So there's grassland, there is um, uh, desert, there's uh, water, there's snow, and then you score based on. So at the very beginning of the game, you get a card that says if you have the most uh, grass sections on your planet by the end, you get this bonus points, mm-hmm. uh, and that's hid- a hidden objective. Yep. And then each round throughout the game, there's uh, these cards that have animals, and the animals prefer to be on certain regions. Like, they want to be in snow that doesn't touch water. So at the at the end of the round, whoever has the biggest snow region not touching water scores that card that turn. Oh, oh cool. Okay. Like and then that. as the game goes on, if no one met that condition, we just push it down to the next round. Uh, and you end up with, I think, 12 rounds by the time you're all done uh, filling up your thing. Um, and then there's a couple other ones like having the most, you know, green sections that are independent and not connected to each other and kind of things like that. So it's, it's a quick game, uh, drafting tiles. You can kind of keep an eye on what your opponents are doing. Uh, and then you score based on which animals you got and then your secret objective. Hassan, how do you feel about a 3D, uh, globe gimmick? Um, it, it does sound gimmicky and I'd like, I'd like to know more, but I do love that designers and publishers are pushing into three-dimensionality more now you know than ever before i think it's just becoming increasingly cost effective to have games that have that added you know that layer dimension of interactivity it just we're, you know for too long we've kind of been dealing with these two-dimensional maps and and um play systems i really i want to see more creative designs like this mm-hmm. and so and this the- is- Oh, and the, planet, the planets you get, they're not small. They're uh, maybe four inches across. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, the the height of a <clears throat> kind of a standard board game box. And do you store them in there? Like, do they un, unpack nope, and lay flat? They're, or, okay. The boxes, they're, they're very solid plastic. So they store okay. fully assembled. And the box is mostly to hold those things and then just the magnetic tiles. So, by the way, these things you're going to tell us about, are these things that will be available, like, imminently or is this like maybe a year out or what what's the what's the so, timetable in terms of what you saw so planet is actually out this week that's actually just oh. ship today so that's wow. that's that's cool the rest of them i'm gonna talk about are actually all later this year unfortunately but okay so what are the things that we can't have today uh so the next thing i want to mention is i played the new version of Suro, uh Suro phoenix rising um, have you guys both played the first two Suro games i don't even know what are you saying what's the word Suro? t-s-u-r-o oh no i don't know these hassan do you know these yeah, I played the first one many, many, many years ago, so I, I barely remember the rules. So in, in the basic uh, Suro, there's a board um, with a bunch of squares, and each turn you put down a tile and has all these little paths drawn on it that are going kind of curving off to the side or looping around, and you put it in front of your piece that starts on the edge of the board, and it follows the piece until it hits the end. And you're trying to, in the original game, you're trying to stay on the board as long as possible before the other players and you can put down tiles that end up because uh, as soon as the tiles in front of you, you have to follow the path as far as it goes. And if that gets you off the board, you're out of the game. Mm-hmm. So um, it's there's some strategy around kind of looping around, not running into other players, uh, and so on. 
the second version of the game called Sorrow of the Seas uh, was the same game plus a random element where you rolled some dice and there were these uh, sea monsters that could attack you and knock you out of the game. Uh, the third version, which comes out this fall, uh, Phoenix Rising, uh, is the same path idea, but you're trying to collect these lanterns along the way, which score points. Um, so it still has the following the path, and you're trying to stay on the board, but you're, there's an actual objective of trying to uh, get these uh, these lanterns for points. And then they also the other thing they added is the tiles are now two-sided, and you can rotate them. So there's a little more flexibility in your choices. Hmm. Um, you're not just putting a tile and you know see what happens. So mm-hmm. You can actually run into a dead end in the middle of the board, and the next turn you get to the one you're next to, uh, flip it or rotate it, and kind of continue on your path. Okay. So a little more strategy to it. Um, I'm surprised you haven't played that, Tom. The original game is, I think, 10 years old now or so, but it's... That might be why I haven't played it. Old. I don't think old <laughs> games are good. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely well, look this up, though, because that sounds cool. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing I remember about this series is that the aesthetic of it is really pleasing. Like, it's an attractive game, and it's... It's pretty gateway level. You can bring it out to non-gamers, and um, it's abstract but pretty. And, oh yeah, look at that! I'm yeah. looking at pictures. That's gorgeous. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, oh. the, and they've, you know, the, this third version is evolving a little bit further from the basic concept. And I, I think having that objective of, I'm trying to actually bypass or go through certain tiles to score them, right. uh, adds quite a bit to the game. Yeah, oh, that is lovely. Okay. Well, good. That's on my radar now. Okay. um, And if you want to try the base one, there's a really good adaptation on Android and iOS, um, just if you want to try it for free. Mm -hmm. Good. So, uh, Next thing I played was Shadowrun Sprawl Ops, which uh, uses a Shadowrun license, of course, uh, very themed with cybernetics and all that kind of good stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's essentially just a worker placement game. Ew. <laughs> you had me all psyched for like cyber ops sprawl ops. Yeah, That's it's, awesome. It's a bit of a hybrid, so the the board has yeah. all these locations to go to to buy new gear or go on missions <laughs> or you know get a cybernetic implant. Uh, but all are in service of making your your team of four runners better by getting more gear and uh, basically increasing the dice you roll to eventually go on missions, which earn you money, and then kind of you're kind of looping around. You know, go on missions, earn money, get more gear until you get better and better missions. Okay, I'm uh, back on board. <laughs> until until ultimately there's a final mission, and the first person who finishes that mission uh, wins the game. Who makes this? It. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So it's and it's very heavy in the theme. Um, there's all sorts of things that can happen as far as you know, getting you uh, during a mission you can get knocked out or abilities can change. And there's uh, they use the different classes of Shadowrunner. Uh, so there's the street oh. samurai who uses the weapons. There's a hacker who does you know. There's hacking abilities, and then the gear that comes up randomly from card decks uh, may be only usable by certain classes. Mm-hmm. So, now, one, um, of my, one of my issues yeah. with worker placement, and I'm wondering if they do anything cool here, is uh, how do you how do you cultivate player interaction besides just blocking each other? Uh, did you get a sense for whether or not there's any of that? Like, can my team sabotage Hassan's team or cooperate with your team? Is there any... Uh, is there any cool stuff to encourage interaction that you could see? There was some items and gear and stuff you can get that mess with other players, um, okay. but a lot of it is blocking, right? So only one, you know, only X people can go to the um, uh, the place to buy gear per turn and so on. Okay. Uh, and then one cool thing they had is one of your characters is what they call a face, kind of the social person. And if they go to buy gear instead of your weapons dude, they will get half price. And and then, you know, the first person to go to this one with their face might get a certain discount because they're negotiating better. Uh, so it's it seems like a, a pretty good game. Uh, very beautiful components. It has this foil board of a outline of Seattle. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 
uh, maybe a dozen locations where you can go. So that looks promising. That's out, uh, I believe, in September. I think they're releasing it for Gen Con. And Mike, did you get to play that one? And who's the publisher on it? Uh, it's from Catalyst Labs. Same people make uh, Shadowrun RPG. Uh, okay. I got to play, essentially, you know, we played a few turns because I was kind of jumping between demos. Right. Um, uh, definitely interesting enough that I, I wanna, I wa- I'm probably going to grab it for myself. You know, hearing you describe it makes me think of when Hassan talked about Victorian Masterminds, mm-hmm. uh, which I had been pretty cooled on until he brought it up. And I really like now his worker placement because of the way that each piece that you place has a unique mechanic associated with it. And it sounds like with the different classes in Shadowrun and the idea of a face and, and whatnot, uh, it sounds like they're doing a lot of that kind of idea with this Sprawl Ops game. Yep. And it's instead of placing a generic worker, you know, you're actually placing one of your four heroes. Right. So uh, that may, you know, there might be, you can choose to go on a bodyguard mission and that might end up hurting you, but it might end up earning you money. So instead of just claiming the place, there's some risk reward analysis you do as, as it goes. Okay, good. I'm back on board. Yeah. Yep, totally. <laughs> All right. Uh, next thing I got to try is the Die Hard game, as in oh, the original right. movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, for the demo, um, they only had it, there's three acts, so it kind of follows the plot of the movie. Uh, we just played the first of the three acts. And it has this cool double-sided board. Uh, and in the first act, it's all folded up, and you're only using one quarter of it. And then after you get past act one, it folds up or opens up, and then you uh, are playing with half the board. And then in the finale, you're playing with the whole board on the opposite side. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool as in the the geography of where you're running around and doing stuff is changing uh, throughout. And who um, are you? Like, is, is, is this is multiplayer? Is each player yep. a different John McClane or something? Nope. It is uh, one versus many. So ah. one person is John McClane, and the other guys are the terrorists. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the demo, I played John McClane. <laughs> and and I have a, I had a deck of cards with abilities, um, and then each turn I'd draw so many, and there's a way to refresh them. And the cards might say, you know, move four and shoot two and, you know, kind of you got to prioritize what you're going to do based on I'm going to use these cards for the next several turns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the opening objective, I had, or opening scenario, I had three objectives, which were to get a gun, get some shoes, and to find the radio. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of following the plot of the movie. Uh, and then the, uh, the bad guys, they were trying to uh, just, their goal was all around opening the safe at the bottom, right? Getting the code to get into the bearer bonds, wherever they're trying to get Oh, so they're not just chasing you. They're trying to do their heist. Yes. Ah. So uh, in in this kind of small area and a quarter of a board, they got cards. Um, so there was three players against me. So each turn, they one person would draw a card, and they would show the other players, and let's say it had a number 12. The other players then looked at that. They got to see it, and then they would have to draft and kind of guess what cards do I want to go with it? Because on the side where the there's these lock code cards, so it might say one, five, seven, eight, and they need to get those numbers to pass the next stage of unlocking the vault. So they're trying to, without talking, decide amongst themselves who's going to get these numbers that are next to each other so we can score more than one at, one at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, the once all three players had their card, the middle of the three numbers determined what they could do that turn. So they are kind of there is a cool mechanic of trying to get these codes for the uh, for the safe, and then also they're not exactly sure what their options are going to be during their turn, which is going to be you know moving around and how many they can shoot and and so on. Uh, now, is then, the idea that each act is a different game, or is this is this the pattern for each of the acts in the game? Yep, you you'll finish this act. So once John gets his three things and gets off the board, 
Um, you know, it's designed such that John's going to succeed, but they may have made a lot of progress on the safe or not. Mm. Right, right. And then it'll go to Act 2, and then there's more. And then in, I got to see the board for Act 3, and you actually have to get Hans Gruber over to the window and push him out to win. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, thing I would wonder is how yeah. much – like, would you – would you play this once and feel like you've seen everything it has to offer? Uh, like, it's, is, uh, is the three-act structure too rigid? Uh, I, You know, it's always going to be the same objectives and so on, um, but kind of how it plays out is it's got a neat design where, like, when John gets hurt, he has to discard cards down, so he loses cards from his hand. Mm -hmm. And then once he gets an objective, he gets to draw more. So there's... Even though it's the same overall plotline, I was really impressed with just the design of how the card interactions and damage and stuff worked. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Originally, when I saw you know originally like a month ago, I saw the artwork and I was like, oh, this game's gonna be terrible, but they did a they did a good job from what I saw so far. And who yeah, publishes the, this? Uh, USopoly actually, USAopoly. Okay. So they yeah, do a lot that. of they do a lot of themed games and so on. They did like the the thing game. Uh, yeah. They do telestrations. Yeah, the the publisher and the original aesthetic, the the look of it, kind of turned me off a little bit. I, I do think it's gonna sell like crazy just because of the popularity of the movie and the license. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, speaking to Tom's point, I'm not even sure if they care about replayability for something like this. I mean, this right. is one of those games that you sell to people because it's the diehard board game and people play it once and they have a good time. And then maybe that's the only time they ever play it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's sadly like the era we live in of board games. Right. And this might be just one of those that, that falls into that, that group. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, the big question hanging over the diehard board game, uh, is this a Christmas board game? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> All right, what else did you see, Mike? Uh, then I played a game called Parks, um, which was a Kickstarter about a year ago. Um, and it features, they got a bunch of artists to do custom art for all 30-something um, of the national parks in the U.S. And it's you hiking through parks. Uh, it's a Victory Point-based game. Um, there's this, you kind of set out this trail of different uh, locations you're visiting as you go, uh, getting more gear, like canteens. Um, I'm not completely sold on the design of this one yet. It looks very pretty, has great components. Um, it's basically, uh, I'm going to decide to move my guy this far down the track. You can't go backwards. And when I do this, I can gain some resources, like, you know, there's suns and mountains and water and so on. It sounds like uh, Takaido. Uh, I have actually never played that, but uh, similar, except uh, just in how it's set up the board wise. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm, like I said, I'm not completely sold on it. I, I love the look of it. I'm not sure it's going to be super fun in the long haul, um, right, right. but I did appreciate how it looked and I, I need to try it again. This is a, this is one I actually did support on Kickstarter, Mike, and mm -hmm. it's, it, the, Really, the only reason I supported it is because of how beautiful it was. Like, mm -hmm. I just, I just wanted those cards, and and I think it's something my family would play. Um, and speaking, to, you know, to what Tom was saying, yeah, I do think that that core mechanic of kind of just deciding how far along a path you want to go doesn't usually have enough meat on it in games like this. Like, and that's ultimately why I got rid of Takedo because I just found it kind of dull each time I played it. I mean, people called it a sort of zen, peaceful game. I just found it kind of boring. <laughs> Those are kind of two sides of the same coin, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Um, I also played a game also from Blue Orange called Dragon Market, which is a very casual game, but it's uh, this grid-based board of um, 
uh, kind of a like a harbor waterway. Um, it has all these boats, and the boats are really cool. They have uh, a, one of their three spaces wide, and one of the spaces is blocked by this kind of uh, raised wood section uh, that the boat rotates around. Mm-hmm. So uh, the boats are able to move uh, laterally uh, in the direction that they're facing, kind of the the long way, and then they can rotate. So as your turn goes, you are trying to move boats uh, by rotating and shifting them around and run around boat to boat to collect items and get them back to your location. So it's kind of a, a racing casual game. Uh, but I just liked the components and liked the, the way the boats kind of rotate around and stuff. It sounds Very like cool. there's a conspicuous uh, lack of dragons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you said dragon market, I was like, yeah, cool. You're yeah. trading and selling eggs and hatching dragons and they fight each other. <laughs> it's, supposed to, it's supposed to be like a like an Asian market kind of thing. Okay, okay, sure, sure. Um, and then the other things I played are things that are actually all out recently. Um, the one I want to mention is Tiny Towns. Yes, from... oh God, oh God, that game, I hate, oh, it hurts my head so hard. Oh, have you have you played it, Tom? Yes, and it looks okay. so adorable and light and easy, and I even introduced it that way to my group. Like, this is going to be super simple, it's just a palate cleanser, it's just a relaxing, easy game, and I was just tearing my hair out by the time it was over. Oh, that game is so punishing. <laughs> Hassan, have you played this? No, the uh, but the designer is actually a, kind of a local guy to me. He's he's a couple towns away from me. I haven't I've not got to meet him yet, but um, it's his first design and it's it's just taken off. It's selling like yeah. crazy. It really yeah, is it's... a clever design. Like I'm I'm just being a little bit facetious, but it's really smart and clever and and slick. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah. And for those who don't know it, um, you're basically each turn you draft a resource. Uh, that's a cube. And you place it on a 4x4 grid, a very small little board. And then as you make shapes, they turn into buildings. So you might need a red one, a yellow one, and blue one kind of at a right angle. And then you can substitute in a cottage. And then all you're trying to do is get maximum victory points by the end. And all the different buildings score differently. Uh, for example, the cottages only score points if there's a farm that provides them food. Uh, there's a theater that scores based on how many unique buildings are in its row and column. Uh, taverns is based on how many taverns you have. And then there's some uh, randomness in that the boards or the, the buildings you get, there's uh, multiple versions of each that score differently. Which uh, I think is a huge, like the, the replayability on this is insane because yeah. of that. There, there are like six categories of buildings that all have a basic fundamental function, but the mm-hmm. specific instance of each building, there's like f- four or five of each building. Yep. Uh, so in any given, the combinatorial possibilities in any given game, and then on top of that, at the beginning of the game, each player is dealt, uh, I think it's called a monument, which is some super building which breaks the rules somehow once you build it. So you're sitting mm-hmm. here, and only you can build that, by the way. Yep. Uh, so just crazy amounts of replayability from a simple, elegant little design. But by the time your board has three or four buildings on it, and there's not enough room to get other things built, and somebody picks a resource that you don't need that's just going to block you, uh, it's, it's, it's equal parts just hugely gratifying and utterly maddening. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and towards the end of the game, in the last four or five turns, you get Ugh. into the... You know, someone names a resource that I can't use at all, but I still have to put on my board. <laughs> yep, yep, and it shuts you uh, down completely because it's one of those games, too. You need to plan a few moves ahead. Yep. Uh, and, and we got to the point, we played it a few times, to where we actually started paying attention to what the other people were trying to do, and we would pick things specifically to block them. Like, yep. and, and that's where like that's where a game really starts to come into its own when you're not just – you don't just have your nose down in your board – uh, but you're looking at what other people are doing and making choices based on that. Uh, yeah, I like Tiny Town a lot. 
Did you um? Were you guys playing with the factory when you played Tom? I love that. Is the factory the one that can hold an extra uh, it's, resource? It's, it's uh well the one I played you pick a resource and then anytime someone picks that resource you can pick any other one instead. Oh right. So like, well, the, I don't the, want I don't want any wheat showing up on my board so I put a factory for wheat and then oh, you called wheat I'll put something else down. Right right yeah all the factory variations are like that is that you put the factory down and you associate it with a resource and then what that associated resource how it how it interacts with the rest of the game is based on which like flavor of factory you have in play yeah. Mm. Uh, and yeah, just talking uh, about it makes me want to go play it. I like Tiny Town a lot. And then there, it includes a deck of cards to do it in random. Normally in the game, uh, when it's your turn, you get to pick the resource everyone has to take. Uh, but it comes with a deck of cards if you want to do it randomly too. So it's just whatever the deck says, you have everyone has to grab. And that makes it also a perfectly viable solitaire puzzle too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So. so that was that was very fun. I actually liked it enough that I picked it up for myself. Um, but you're right, it's it's both clever and maddening at the same time. Yeah, don't make the mistake I made and introduce it as a, as a light little palate cleanser. It's <laughs> going to be super fast, yeah. <laughs> so um, and so that's all the, the stuff I really got to try. There's a couple, try, a couple other little things that are already out that I tried. Um, and then they had a cool promo where for however many you demoed, you, they had a drawing to win some free games and stuff. So it was overall a very cool event. It was nice to not have Gen Con-sized crowds at a gaming event for once. <laughs> right, sure. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I am going to Gen Con, so I'm looking forward to that too. Good. All right. Well, uh, Hassan, you played something. Uh, I'd never heard of this before. Uh, how did you find it? What is it? And why? I came I came so close to ordering it, by the way, after you said you were going to talk about it. I looked it up. I was like, oh, that looks really cool. I should go ahead and order it. Uh, but I started reading about it, and it seems like it's awfully little. It seems a little light. So tell us what this is and tell us about it. It, it might legitimately be too light for you, Tom. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, I've been I've been jonesing to talk about something. I, I need to earn my indie cred. I've been mostly talking <laughs> about these big corporate products lately, like Keyforge and Twilight Imperium and shit like that. But I, I wanted to pick a game that um, maybe people have missed because it's flown under the radar, and this definitely fits that category. I, I only knew about it because I follow a... Uh, BGG user who writes a blog about his weekly gaming group and he kept bringing it up over and over again. It was his most played game last year and the more he talked about it, the more um, interested I got in it and I started looking at pictures of it and I'm I'm kind of a sucker for maps in board games. Like if I see a cool map, and I mean this is something that started ever since I was a kid, right? Like even even shitty games like Risk, kind of you know yeah. they they have this sirens call to me because it's like oh there's a cool map you get to interact with, and um, Rise of the Necromancers has a pretty nice map. It's got a nice aesthetic. It it sort of drew me in. And I, I I've mentioned this several times on the podcast previously. Right now my my gameplay preferences are leaning more towards um, light to middle to lightweight games, like things that kind of would be like a three or a four on a ten point scale of weight. And I think this is what this is what the, this game is. Um, but yeah, it's a it's it's a lightweight strategy game where players take on the role of competing necromancers. And if you were sitting at my table and if it was set up in front of you, you'd see this this gorgeous map in, in front. Um, and on the map are a variety of territories that have pretty clear thematic icons on them. Um, some of the some of the territories are 
places where you can go and dig up corpses um, so that you can raise minions, undead minions for your army. Some territories allow you to collect unholy resources that are going to allow you to cast spells or craft magic items. There are cities dotted on the map that you're going to want to conquer and control. And perhaps most importantly, there are four academies representing the four schools of magic at play in the game. There's bone, blood, mist, and decay. And I would, I would argue that that's probably the, the, the core feature of the game that is easy to miss if you're just kind of glancing at the rule book or looking at pictures of it online. It is, it's what I would call the beating heart of the game is this, these four schools of magic because they largely will dictate what strategy you're going to pursue in the game. Um, in front of you, you're also going to have 13 cute little plastic tombstones. These are your dominion tokens. And the victory condition of the game is, is quite simple. The first player to place all 13 of their Dominion tokens is going to win. Mm -hmm. um, and so over the course of the game, you're going to be wandering across this map with your necromancer growing in power, slowly raising an undead army, conquering cities, um, and attempting to interfere with the plans of your rivals. It's basically it's territory control? It is. It has got um, a hefty dose of territory control, not as much as a confrontational war game would have. So, just as an example of that, the 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 base game rule set, um, necromancers can't actually attack each other. You can add in an advanced variant where you can land on another necromancer's space and have a battle between your armies, but generally speaking, the way that you're going to interfere with each other is. Let's say Mike has conquered um, a city on the map, and when you conquer cities, you get to place some of your Dominion tokens down there. The more powerful the city is, the more Dominion tokens you get to place. So maybe Mike has conquered a three-token city, which is pretty tough to do. Um, so he's got three tokens down there. Um, if if he's getting close to winning the game, then that would put pressure on us, Tom, to to take over that city. And in doing so, we would remove his tokens and get to place our own. So it is it is very much um, a game where you have to keep an eye on who's closest to winning and kind of beat them down. And it's it's not a problem in this game. It's part of the game. And it's a, it's a, it's a very quick, relatively light game that will play easily in 90 minutes. I think um, it plays up to five. I think really even with five players, you could you could crank this out in 60 to 90 minutes. Now, why does it go so quickly? Like what you described where Mike has grabbed this three Dominion token city and you and I have to stop him. What, what, what keeps the game from us just like fighting each other over this one city and drawing it out into a long slog over multiple turns? Is there any sort of a clock or a victory condition that gets reached beforehand? It, yeah, no, that's a really good question, Tom. Um, I really think it's just the the pace of the game is is just in, it escalates so quickly. I think that's its best feature is that it's a game where um, you start feeling extraordinarily weak. Like literally, you start the game as a nameless necromancer. Like you don't even have a name, but you have <laughs> um, you have three necromancer cards in your hand and one of the first decisions you have in the game is to pick one of those three necromancers. So you might you might pick um, the Rot Weaver, who is a necromancer aligned with the Decay School of Magic, right? And Does everybody you... have the same three cards? Or they're, they're... No, everybody okay. has different ones. And okay. so it's, that's that first decision, it... it 
it doesn't determine your long-term strategy, but it's certainly going to feed into it, right? Um, and so once you play that necromancer card, you discard the other two back into the box. You've made your decision. Now you have a name. Um, but early in the game, you can't do much. You don't have uh, an army. You don't have any cool spells or artifacts. All you're going to do in the first few turns is make a move onto a territory with your necromancer, and your base movement is one. You're really you're a total wuss in the beginning. Um, you're going to move onto a territory, and then you're going to take an action associated with that territory. So, for example, if I moved onto a wasteland, I could take my action to dig up some corpses. Okay, so now I've got some corpses that I can then use to turn into minions in a later turn. I could turn them into zombies or a bone dragon, right? Um, or if I moved onto a library territory, okay, now I get to draw three cards from the spell deck and pick one of those spells. And so each turn is just so fast. Like this is one of those games where I take my turn, you guys go, 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 go. And then before I've even kind of finished right. <laughs> moving my cards around, like it's my turn again. Hassan, it's, really... it's back to you. Your turn, yeah, go. Exactly. <laughs> and we did that a lot in our game. We were just like, Dave, Dave. Like, I mean, we, were just, we were like yelling at each other. And it's great. It just moves so fast. Um, now you mentioned this because uh, I'm intrigued by different kinds of resources in, in games. And uh, you mentioned bone, blood, mist, and decay. And you said right. that's like the heart of the game. Those right. sound cool. Like, are those qualitatively different? Or are they just different names for different colors of a random resource? What, what's the distinction between these four things? Because that sounds awesome. They are different. I think it, it, it's, I need to play it more. I think more could have been done to differentiate them. But there is there are differences, for sure. So, for example, if you go the decay strategy, um, you're, you're largely going to be picking, trying to acquire spells and items that align with the decay school. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, those are items and spells that are gonna boost the power of your zombies. Zombies are the weakest unit in the game. Um, they can only move one space. They only hit on a one, um, on, on a one D six. It's a very simple combat system. But uh, if you have the right items, if you have the right necromancer, if you have the right spells and, the, and the, a good apprentice, you can turn your zombies into total badasses. Like one of the guys in our game um, got the spell zombie explosion, which makes your zombies basically act as, you know, bombs and grenades. So you, so you can take down cities by sacrificing these very cheap units, right? And that strategy is going to be very different from another player who might be pursuing the... Um, bone strategy for example where they're trying to raise up bone dragons who have a very high movement value they're very expensive but now you can fly around the map and f perhaps maybe just focus on taking over dungeons and every mm -hmm. time you complete a dungeon in the game you get to place one of these little tombstones so you can just be flying around the map getting to dungeons before anybody else getting all your tokens down that way so um i think that you know fundamentally there are there are four uh, strategies, broad strategies that you can pursue in the game, and that that early part of the game where you're deciding which necromancer to play and which path to pursue is really satisfying. Um, it's also kind of tense because if if you put down a necromancer that's a blood necromancer, and oh, that's what I was hoping to do. Well, oh, we, right. We can go, both go blood, but it's going to be a little bit trickier for us. Because we're both competing for the same kind of resources, I guess. We same. are. Yeah. 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 One of the things we're competing for is there's these four academy spaces on the board. Um, these, you know, the 
where the schools of magic are are physically located and it, it behooves you to try to become headmaster of your academy you don't have to to win the game but if you become headmaster of one of the academies that's three dominion tokens that you can place down um, in order to become a headmaster you have to collect a set of at least six cards or minions within that school so for example if you're going to k four zombies in your army count towards that that six and then you might have a magic item and a spell also within that school of magic and then you go to that academy and now you're the headmaster of decay and that gives you an additional ability <laughs> right um, but if we're both going decay well that's that's problematic um, right. i mean i you can take headmaster away from somebody else by just having a larger set than they do but that that can be really tough right i, I love the idea of being the headmaster of decay yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike, that, do you, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say on that note, the theme of the game is really fun. I mean, I think that if you if you're turned off by necromancy, then this game isn't for you. But, <laughs> if, if, um, but if you find necromancy sexy, or you you don't mind it at all, and you kind of want something that is that's dark but not too dark, I think it's a little tongue in cheek, um, just right. the right amount. Then it's it's a it's a super fun theme. It oozes theme. Mike, can you get Rise of the Necromancers from Gaming Goat from your store in Littleton, Colorado? No, and I actually, the distributors don't have it either, so I was going to ask Hassan where he got it. <laughs> I actually looked into this. Hassan, yeah, I was about to be very mad that you are going to tell us about a cool game that no one could get. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you can order it directly from these guys' website. Yep, yep. From 70 bucks, basically. Games. Yep, you can get it directly from them. I'm sorry, I cut you off, but what, what's the name of them? Who, where, do, where do we go to find this? It's Sore Loser Games, yeah. Yep. And and I actually, I bought my copy off of BGG because there's an active marketplace on BGG and there were there were a few copies um, sitting around. I think somebody had played this once and decided it wasn't for them. And so I'll, I'll often turn to BGG to see if I can find um, a cheaper version of it. But I like it well enough that... Um, you know, I'd, I'd support these guys. It's 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 a super fun design. Yeah, and it's readily available directly from them. So, yeah. yeah. All right, good. Well, Hassan, if you're going to be all indie, I'm going to go with the big corporate, uh, commercially successful <laughs> game here that everybody's heard of, if not played. Um, do you guys know the legendary system from Upper oh. Deck Games? Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Uh, thumbs up or thumbs down on it overall? I have actually never played it, but... Ah. I'm, I've kind of burned out on deck builders in general, so I haven't really looked into it. Hassan, do you? How do you? What are your feelings on uh, Legendary? I like it. Um, my older brother is a is a huge fan and has been since it first started, and so he's got a huge collection. And usually, when we get together, we play at least you know a couple times. So I was actually going to quiz you guys. Uh, I was going to give you a list of. So Legendary began as a Marvel licensed game from Upper Deck. And I think before then they were mainly they trafficked in baseball cards and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, but they they then got the Marvel license somehow. This is obviously before the Disney deal. Uh, they got the Marvel license and made this game called Le Marvel Legendary or Legendary Marvel. Legendary is like this game engine, and Marvel's the license for it. Mm -hmm. Since then, because this is five years ago, I'm going to give you guys a list of let's see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven licenses. You tell me which one they don't have. Ready? Uh, okay. And Hassan, you're going to answer first. Actually, Mike, <laughs> you're going to go first because Hassan, right. I know. Okay, we know they have Marvel. Uh, Alien, Predator, Big Trouble in Little China, James Bond, Buffy, Firefly, and X-Files. One of those is fake, and there's no legendary game. 
Which one is fake? James Bond. No, why do you you knew that, didn't you? I did because I <laughs> I have the rest of my store. <laughs> oh right, yeah. Why am I asking you? <laughs> okay, right. There's no James Bond. So they've got all of these uh, systems that use this legendary engine, and my issue with it kind of is. I don't think this engine works very well for a lot of what they're trying to do. And one of the places that I think it's most ill-suited is Marvel. Um, I have the Alien one, and I think the Alien one is great uh, because it's a traditional deck builder. As you guys mentioned, you start with a bunch of crappy cards. Uh, you know, Some of them help you buy new cards, and some of them help you punch stuff, which tends to give you victory points. So it's that classic thing of... Do you build your economic engine, or do you go for victory points? Um, and in Marvel, the superhero cards are the economic engine. You know, the cards that let you buy other cards, you buy superhero cards. And the cards that punch things, you punch villains. And then those are going to give you victory points. And this is pretty straightforward in the original version. Um, but over successive releases, and there's got to be uh, 12, 15 different boxes of Marvel legendary stuff that, that you can buy. Um, uh, over successive releases, they folded in all these crazy different uh, gameplay mechanics and keywords for different sets and synergies between different cards. Uh, and it's this huge, sprawling, and I'll go ahead and use the word, mess right now. Like, there's just so much just stuff in the Marvel legendary series in the, in the universe. Um and my main problem with it uh, is that I think it's a really poor fit. As I said before, with the Alien game, it works because you've got these aliens marching out and players, uh, it's, it's more of a co-op game, are trying to stop the aliens. And it's got this sense of, of monsters attacking you and you've got to hold them back. In the Marvel game, you've got a deck of cards, for the, the a huge deck for the hero cards. And those, and to make that, you choose five different superheroes, and then you shuffle all their cards together. And then when we sit down to play, this is fundamentally a head-to-head -head game where you're, you're building a deck and you're trying to get the most victory points. We're buying from this deck of five different superhero cards shuffled together. So it's not like I'm Iron Man and Mike is Black Widow and Hassan is Spider-Man. We're all buying all these different cards and then just making a slurry of superhero cards in our decks. So on any given turn, there, there's no real narrative sense of, you know, I'm using a bunch. I mean, you might focus on certain cards, but you've got a little bit of everything in your deck. And it, it gets to this whole idea of it being a, a bit of a mess for me. And I, I contrast this with something like Sentinels of the Multiverse. That's not a deck builder, but some of the fundamentals are the same, where each person's deck represents a superhero. And then there's a villain that you fight against, and then you choose an environment. And there's all this mix-and-match uh, sensibility to which villain, which environment, and which hero decks are the players playing. And that's got a very solid narrative sense and a feel of what's happening. Uh, there's even a DC deck builder game. Uh, which is also head-to-head, -head, but you sit down and you play a specific superhero. And the cards that you're collecting are gadgets or superheroic moves or sidekicks. So when I'm playing the DC Deck Builder game, I'm Superman, Hassan is Green Lantern, uh, Mike, haha, you have to be uh, uh, Aquaman. Um, so so the, the Legendary Marvel series, I just don't feel is a good fit for this idea of superheroes fighting supervillains. Uh, and even competitively, it kind of makes no sense. We're all using Spider-Man and, and 
uh, we're all using the same heroes and the same X-Men and the, the, the same, you know, Daredevil and Elektra. We're all using these same cards to punch these villains, and whoever has punched the most has won. It just doesn't really feel like uh, good fodder for a deck builder. Uh, there's no point that we're going head-to-head. -head. That just makes no sense. Um, so what I've been doing with this thing, so a friend of mine, I've been curious about this for a while. A friend of mine, she had it. She played it once. She didn't like it. She was going to sell her copy on BoardGameGeek. Uh, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna, I'll go ahead and buy that. I'm curious about this. So she had the base set and a few, like one that was even out of print and a couple of extras that she bought. So for a good price, I got a whole bunch of this stuff dumped in my lap. Um, and you can play it uh, cooperatively by basically just ignoring the scoring and seeing if you can beat the villain because the, when you play this you pick five superheroes shuffle all them the, their cards into the deck that you're drawing from you pick the villain and then you pick something called a scheme and the scheme alters the fundamental dynamics of what you have to do to not lose the game and the villain uh mixed with the scheme kind of gives each match a, a different flavor um, now, overall, it's still a head-to-head -head game, but what the scheme and the villain introduce are a loss condition for everybody. Um, so, in a way, we've all got to cooperate to keep this from happening, but we're all trying to get the most points from punching the villains. So, you can just ignore the scoring and play it as a cooperative game. And because I've got so much just junk from this, and because this game has been around for so long and it's pretty popular, there are a bunch of randomizers that you can either download or you go to a web page. I've found one that's on, on the uh, iOS. And you just plug in what different sets you have, and you press a button, and it chooses for you a villain, a scheme, and then the five heroes that you're going to shuffle into your hero deck. And because this game is such a sprawling mess, sometimes what gets picked will be trivially easy <laughs> if you're playing it cooperatively. And you just play, and yeah, sure enough, you you prevail like magneto is trying to capture bystanders and uh i've got a bunch of cards that just happen to roll together and they've got good synergy super easy uh, that this game is dumb why would i even bother with it but then sometimes you get a really challenging combination of villain scheme and five different heroes and this is where this stupid dumb game has gotten its hooks in me because <laughs> What I've done, and I came up with this, and this is my own. You're welcome, Upper Deck, by the way. I designed the game you guys should have given me. What I've come up with is I, I roll I roll up a random configuration, and if I can't beat it on the first try, which a lot of times will be because the five superheroes don't synergize well, or they don't specifically address the villain and the scheme that I'm using. So I'll play once, and this you can score it, by the way. And if I fail... I will then swap out one of the five heroes. you got to sort all the decks back into those five heroes again. I'll fire one of the heroes. You know, uh, Spider-Man, you're out of here. You're dumb. You're not helping me. And I'll pick one from this huge collection that will synergize with another one, and I'll add it into the deck. So now I'm starting to sort of like uh, jigger what components I'm using to fight the villain in, in the scheme. Uh, and if I fail again, okay, I fire another hero and add another one in. So I'm kind of playing it as a campaign game. Mm -hmm. uh, and then once I've beaten a, a villain and a scheme, I'll roll a new villain and scheme with this team that I've assembled. Uh, and there's nothing that really supports this. Like this isn't, there's no official 
but like they, they don't sell this like this is a great campaign mode for for all of these like dungeon crawlers and rpgs this is a really cool way to address this idea of a team of superheroes fighting a villain is you you You've smashed together all these different superheroes, and if some of them don't work, you change the team up. And it's such a big, crazy swirl of licensed superheroes and visuals and villains trying to do dumb things. It just reminds me of how, I think, messy the end of uh, Avengers Endgame was. Like, that, <laughs> that movie ended with a big, crazy CG battle, and I had no idea what was going on or who was shooting what beams at whom. Uh, at a certain point, Scarlet Witch comes up to Thanos... And she's like, I'm going to get you now. And he says to her, I don't even know who you are. And it starts <laughs> punching her. And, I, like, that's how this game feels to me when I – like, I've got all of these superheroes. I don't know who – like, there's an X-Man named Dazzler. I had no idea there was any such thing. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Black Bolt. There's Lady Thor. I don't know who these people are. Uh, and they add unique mechanics when you shuffle them into the deck. Um so I think this game is a big, huge mess, but I have found a way to enjoy it. Uh, there you go. <laughs> That's great. I, I think that is part of the appeal of why people who get in the game do collect so much, Tom, is because it leads to that that way of playing where you can mix and match five heroes that would never normally interact with each other in the comics, right, in this universe. And then right. you can you can see, like, oh, I'm going to tell my own narrative, my own story with these this random motley crew, right? And it also starts adding, like, once you add in some of the different gameplay dynamics, I think it becomes a richer system. There's one, there's, there's this idea that there's a deck of what are called bystanders. And they're basically just cards that are worth an extra point. And some of the villains will capture a bystander. And if you don't defeat the villain, that's an extra point. You, you know, you could have just made an extra victory point if you defeat a villain who's captured a bystander. One of the things they did over successive releases is they shuffled into this bystander deck actual bystanders with uh, gameplay functions. Like there's a there's a news reporter, there's a paramedic, there's a computer hacker. Uh, mm. They then uh, added more of an X-Man set where you can find uh, mutants whose latent powers are developed if you rescue them. So this whole bystander deck becomes a whole new gameplay system, and the way that it interacts with uh, even some of the earlier sets that were based on just capturing bystanders for an extra point, like it just it enriches uh, some of the previous content, I, I think, uh, and some of the keywords and the interactions that they introduce. Um, so yeah, the unfortunately it's the sort of thing where if you were to just buy Marvel Legendary, you know, probably thirty, forty bucks. I really don't think it's worth it. But if you're willing to go all out or find some used collection or whatever, uh, as you said, Hassan, it's just such a big, crazy, sprawling jumble of stuff uh, that it's kind of engaging. Like, let me... me, Here's the first game I played. Um, Mysterio... Oh, no, wait. Here we go. I've been keeping a list here. This is ridiculous. Galactus was trying to assemble an intergalactic Kree negabomb. That's an actual thing. Hulk, Iron Man, Nick Fury, Spider-Man, and Thor couldn't stop him. So I had to bring in new people. And there's stuff like this. Like, I just now finally beat, after literally like five different matches, uh, I don't even know who this guy is, Mysterio. He was trying to uh, smash two dimensions together. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it took me a while, but I've assembled a group. And now I've got this great group, uh, Rocket Raccoon and Iron Man. They both have this high-tech stuff that synergizes. Uh, Spider-Man and Electra. they both do this crazy, like, low-cost ninja stuff where you're cycling your deck real quickly. So I've got this, like, great team assembled, and now that I've stopped Mysterio from smashing two dimensions together, I think I'm going to roll up a new villain, villain in Scheme and, and see how they do. Uh, <laughs> That's cool. I, I always... Go ahead, Mike. I yeah. was going to say, hey, Tom, have you played the Legendary Encounters? I know they have an Aliens one, and I don't know how exactly that differs from the main game, but they have these kind of ones that are themed. Yeah, the the the, the Alien one I think is really good for being... Um, you could play it solitaire, and it does a weird thing, too. It does that same weird thing with the heroes, where you pick a set, which is one of the four movies, and you shuffle together a bunch of cards that represent different characters um Mm -hmm. which is a bit weird uh and and then you are fighting against the aliens and there's some sort of an event structure that's based on the movie uh what i really like about the alien one and it also in marvel legendary there's an evil villain deck and you just flip up a villain and he's face up and then a new one comes up and then eventually there's a row of five villains and when you draw a sixth one the fifth one gets pushed off and that villain quote at the end of the, the row, he escapes, which for the most part doesn't mean anything. Some of the schemes will try to make that mean something, um, but it just seems like it's trying to give you a cycling set of five villains to punch. Mm-hmm. In the Alien game, these cards come out face down, and they're moving towards this escape, and as they escape, they hurt you, and they put wounds in your deck, and they mess up your deck building. So what you have to do is stop them from escaping, but before you stop them, you have to scan them, which is a separate resource, which is where you flip them over. And sometimes you flip it over, and it's like a face hugger, and it'll put an egg in your deck. And if you get a certain number of eggs, then you get a chest burster that, that makes you just flat out lose. Uh, so I actually think that the alien... Uh, legendary set is one of the best uses of this this legendary engine and one of mm-hmm. my favorite things about it uh it's it's entirely co-op there's none of this scoring nonsense or hey whoever punched the most aliens wins it's entirely co-op which also can mean for me solitaire you just sit down and you play it but they add a trader mechanic as a variant where there's a deck of cards and some people are working for the company and other people are just trying to survive and the company person wants to get everyone else killed and be the lone survivor, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the other people want to find out who's the company person uh, and therefore let that guy get killed. Um, so I, I like what they did with the Aliens set, uh, and I feel it's way more appropriate to the theme than the Marvel Legendary set. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Hassan, yeah, have you played like Legendary like head-to-head? Like you and your friend play it competitively, right? Uh, my brother, yeah. I was going to say that the... There's two th- two things about the legendary system that I find problematic, and that first one you've mentioned is that that the its whole structure as a semi co-op is really awkward. Yeah. I, I, I really, I mean, the first time I played it with my brother, I told him I was like, I just feel like we should be playing this co-op, like just pure co-op, the working together, trying to choose our cards and play our cards to boost each other so that we defeat the villain rather than um, kind of you know 
I don't, I don't even know how it's supposed to work thematically that we're trying to outbeat each other in terms of <laughs> defeating the game, right? It just, right. it's, it feels very awkward to me. Because also, your uh, your starting cards are uh, shield agents, so the idea right. is you both work for shield. <laughs> Who's getting the promotion? Maybe is what happens. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, the, the only times it made sense to me is like there's some characters like the Hulk, for example. Like a lot of the Hulk cards will end up you know doing a ton of damage but then i think putting wounds into the other players decks or something right. like that isn't that right tom yep the whole key, it, that's him getting angry and getting yeah. hurt and yeah yeah right and so that thematically is kind of funny right like hulk smashes and then oh but you hurt me too you asshole right, right? right. you know and so that's that's <laughs> that's funny um but there's the, a real, real quick this is, uh, along those lines there's a, a dark phoenix uh hero set and each hero set has 14 cards like a certain number of them are cheap and then they get more expensive and there's one uber card from each set the uber card in the dark phoenix set if you assemble a certain amount of like punching resource uh you win the game alone and evil wins the game it like completely turns the table over and i i I guess dark phoenix like turns evil or whatever but it completely turns the table over where the bad guys win but now you're one of the bad guys and you've won as well and you've destroyed the world (laughs) like so there's a lot of little cute touches like that in there yeah yeah and i guess that was my second question slash comment on it is that i even in the beginning i found that the the combination of the kind of poor graphic design and tracking all the the bonuses and doing lots of addition. This is the same problem I had with Sentinels, um, is that yeah. there's just so much tracking of lots of little numbers um, that is not facilitated by how the cards are laid out, I think, in, in Legendary. Like, do you find that that is a problem that you've conquered playing it solo, or does it get worse the more expansions and sets you add into the game, or how have you dealt with that? One of the things that's markedly different from Sentinels is Sentinels uh, has all of these nested actions uh, and Sentinels just gets insane, and I guess it depends on which heroes and which villains you're fighting, but also the 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 numbers in Sentinels just get insanely high. Like, you, you start off fighting guys who have, like, 100 hit points or whatever. So there's all these, like, huge numbers and nested actions. Uh, to their credit, Upper Deck knows that they're going for a wider, more casual audience. So you're right in that there's a lot to track, but the numbers tend and the actions tend to be discrete. They're smaller numbers, and the actions are more self-contained. Uh, so, but you, you are right, and the tricky stuff for me gets addressed when I'm using this little system where I play with five heroes and then if I lose I'll swap in a new hero. So as I'm playing and as I'm beating my head against whatever particularly difficult combination of villain and scheme I've got, I'm sort of learning the cards better. Uh, and, And furthermore, I think the advantage of playing a super popular game like this that's been around for five years, you Google pretty much anything. Just Marvel Legendary and then uh what if Jean Grey's card conf- conflicts with this villain? Somebody's asked that somewhere. Like, <laughs> it's all out there, and I love that about it. And and for the most part, too, the developer, a fellow named Devin Lowe, I believe, uh, has been really good about going on Board Game Geek and answering questions. And mm-hmm. from even questions that he doesn't answer, uh, what he has said in answer, people can use that to infer other edge cases. Uh, and I feel like the game is pretty smoothed out at this point uh, in terms of all those little details. 
like it can be maddening as you're trying to like sit down and figure it out but once you get down to an edge case or whatever question you have it just googles really well uh i will say um how did we ever play board games without being able to just google a rules question (laughs) (laughs) that happens all the time in the middle of games i've searched for rule clarifications i mean i i I mean i've been playing board games enough where i remember you couldn't do that like it's that's just such a, a a crutch slash luxury uh and sometimes it's even easier like the thing about marvel legendary is it comes with the basic rules and then each set has an individual sheet so i'm looking at the rules and i've got one two three four i've got seven sheets of paper right here so generally rather than me trying to figure out because the cards also they don't mark it's it's hard to look at you can't look at a card and tell what set it's from so when I run into some keyword that I haven't seen before, rather than look through these seven sheets to find it, it's easier for me to just Google it. Like, what does this keyword do? Uh, so. Well, you know what you know what people used to do, Tom, is they would argue at each other at the table. And, I and, know. Uh, and yeah. the, either either the loudest, most obnoxious person would win, or the <laughs> smoothest talking person would win. You know. Um, or. Or you could talk your way into, we're going to roll a die, and if it's one to three, it's this way. And oh, it. Mike, I would never allow that. No, I would never, never allow that. <laughs> All right, so uh, there we go. Mike, you had a great week. I'm super excited. So, okay, I'm totally won over by this Shadowrun thing, by the way. Uh, yeah, that, when... one, that one sounded the most fun to me, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. me too. And then, uh, uh, like, I, the other one, my favorite of the other ones was probably Suro, but I, I happen to like the original, too, so. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Suro is gorgeous, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so why did you – real quick, Hassan, why did you mention Cave of Evil in relation to Rise of the Necromancers? Do you even have Cave of Evil? <laughs> Cave of Evil? No. I've never played it. I've read about it, and it's it's just thematically similar yeah. to Rise of the Necromancers. That's why I chose it. I was going to be super jealous because I think that's like a hard game to get. Yeah. It is. It's, it, that's, that designer is one of those designers where everything he does is just so bizarre and interesting and weird, but I have not played any of his stuff. Yeah, if Cave Evil weren't just if I didn't, I've considered buying a copy of Cave Evil just because I'm super curious about it. But I know it's the sort of thing that I would really have a hard time getting to the table with the group that I play. So I I didn't bother. Yeah. 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 All right. So thanks everyone for listening. We're going to be back in two weeks. I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Hassan Lopez and Mike Pullman, and we'll see you guys in two weeks. Cheers. (laughs) 